Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Since 2008, the Granary Church has partnered with the Anglican Diocese of Southwest Uganda in establishing and developing the MUCO Health and Maternity Clinic. This clinic provides free and subsidised medical care and services to impoverished communities in the area and is fully funded by the generous giving of Granary Church members. With no hospitals in the vicinity, the MUCO Clinic ensures that essential services are accessible for all, providing general outpatient services, antenatal and postnatal care, delivery of babies, dental services, immunisations, family support services, referrals to other hospitals and ambulance services. One thing we know for certain is that in this world there is so much uncertainty but we have the opportunity to provide certainty for the people of Muko and those in surrounding villages. Certainty that they can deliver babies safely at any time of the day or night. Certainty that if they get sick, they can receive local medical care or transport to a larger hospital that can provide for their needs. Certainty that they can receive health education that will empower them to make good choices for their family. Empowerment of people and communities is the way of the future, and it's also the way to ensure sustainability in our partnership with the people of MUCO. Supporting community-driven leadership means empowering the local communities through access to education and resources, allowing them to take control of their future and make positive choices that will build their better future. The Granary's long-term vision is to develop the clinic to a stage where the Government of Uganda will step in with ongoing funding and our support can gradually be reduced until the clinic is completely self-sufficient. This is not a distant project that we fund through a third party. This is the Granary Church, you and I, taking seriously the call of Jesus who said to care for the poor and needy. For over 13 years, we have done this by forming and maintaining a direct partnership with the community in Muko, Uganda. And this year, we are aiming to raise $60,000, which will cover two years of funding for staff wages, medicine and equipment, ongoing building maintenance, and other expenses of the Muko Clinic. Breaking this down together, this $60,000 target becomes much more achievable. Would you consider sponsoring a midwife salary for one month at $160? Or maybe you could commit to paying a full year's wage for the nursing assistant for $1,300. Even just $640 can supply the entire clinic with the medicine it requires for a whole month. Thank you, Church, for all you have done in helping the MUCO Clinic serve thousands upon thousands of people over the last 13 years. And thank you again for all you will do in these coming weeks to financially support this incredible ministry. God has continually blessed the people of Muko through the gifts of our church, and we know he will do great things again in that place, as together we give to support the life-changing medical care of the Muko Health and Maternity Clinic.
Well, as uh, Sue introduced, uh, my name is Matt and with my wife, Brittany, we're the missions and justice pastors. And Brittany is not here because she's actually out at the Maitland service um, preaching and giving this sermon a message this morning and she'll be also giving it in the evening. And a full disclaimer that Brittany really was the one to put all of the effort and research into writing and preparing and studying for this sermon today. So I'm just um, the talking head of both God's inspiration to Brittany and then Brittany's inspiration here. But um, as I'm recognizing uh, the strength of voice and leadership of my own wife, I said to Sue just before I came up that I think, uh, and I just wanted to acknowledge the situation and the moment we are in as a nation as women across the country are actually seeking to have their voices heard uh, from every stage of life and background and demographic women are speaking up and uh, i was in parliament house on the day of the march for justice uh, which took place in cities all around australia where women uh, came out and marched and and basically spoke up for what is happening in australian culture around sexism and misogyny and the uh, unequal treatment of women. And I think so much of the lesson of this moment is actually that it's not for men to try and lead the conversation, but to listen and to learn and to contribute rightfully where we can. And I'm not here today to particularly speak to that subject, but I do think it is important that as a church and as the church that we are praying for this moment in our nation. And more than that, that we are unequivocal in our own support and championing of women in our own lives, in our own community, in our church, in our nation. And finally, I think it's also important um, as a community and as men in the community that we recognize that a moment like this brings up existing traumas as the women amongst us are forced to relive and re-experience those instances of sexism and even abuse that they've had to experience in their life. So we see you and we want to listen And I do believe I speak for the men of the Granary Church when I say that we want to see how, with God's help, we can do better in our own lives and also in the roles we play in society, raising our boys in workplaces, in football clubs, everywhere. So we just want to recognize that today. But today we are going to be continuing our theme of loving extravagantly. Even as we speak about missions and justice and the MUCO project, we are talking about this theme of loving extravagantly, which fits into the journey we are on as a church this year. And in particular, we're going to look at one of the last parables Jesus told during his time on earth to see what it looks like when extravagant love and generous justice are combined. Nine years ago, uh, I was on a trip in Kenya with Compassion, who I was working for at the time. And we had a group of Australians over there visiting some of the projects. And one of the things you get to do is you get to go to the homes of some of the sponsored children and to meet their families. And it's always, always a highlight of these trips to be invited into these families' homes and to hear some of their story. And we were in the Western uh, region of Kenya and we were invited to the home of of one family and actually it was the grandmother who was raising the child that was in the compassion project that had been sponsored by one of the people in the group that we were with and as we sat there we heard a remarkable story of a life full of tragedy and heartbreak uh, of um, her own children some of which had been lost some of her own grandchildren had been lost of poverty of conflict of many many challenges and she was a visibly old lady uh, who'd experienced so much and we were blown away by this we're also blown away by her faith and her faithfulness in god she was clearly a woman of faith who was trusting 
God for her future and for the future of her family. And so as our time uh, came to a close with this lady, uh, this matriarch of the family and, and of the community, now she went back inside to get something and we were all wondering what it would be. And she came out and she had this big hulking great sack of corn, of corn cobs that she wanted to give to the group as a gift. And she kind of stood there and reached out to give it to us. And in that moment, everyone kind of froze and didn't know what to do. And you knew what was going through people's heads. There's no way we can take this. We've just heard how impoverished they are. We've heard how much they're struggling financially. It seemed um, inconceivable that she would give this gift and that we would take it. It defied logic. But as I was a Compassion staff member, and so the de facto of our little Australian entourage who'd gone out to visit this lady, I stepped forward and I took the bag from her and I looked her in the eyes and I thanked her for it. And I did that because I knew at that point what we were confronting was an example of God's extravagant love coming through this woman. And actually to have rejected that gift would have been actually to reject the love that she was seeking to show and the faithfulness that she had in offering that gift, even knowing her family's own situation. So we thanked her and we dignified her in that way and we received the present. And uh, it was shocking in a sense and it was, it was shocking to me. And, and my own thought was, of course, not to take it and to give excuses why we wouldn't, but I could see this for what it was. And what we're going to look at today in the book of Matthew in chapter 20 from verses 1 to 16 is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And it, is, it shows how it is often the case that God-inspired examples of extravagant love also tend to offend our human understandings and interpretations of what is right or wrong, appropriate or inappropriate, fair or unjustified, and can produce not only surprise and dumbfoundment, as it did in our experience in Kenya, in that village, but it can actually even cause frustration, anger, bitterness, and even rage. And that's what we're going to see in this parable. And the challenge through today's teaching and really this series uh, for you and for every one of us to consider is what are we like when it comes to recognizing extravagant love, receiving it in our own lives, and also giving it. And it's that last point of what it looks like to give God's extravagant love through acts of generosity and justice and compassion that we'll focus on a little bit more at the end of the sermon today. So with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and I'm going to share and tell this story with you. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And a denarius or a denarius, I'm definitely pronouncing it wrong. It was usually the daily wage of a labor in those times and paid for a full day's work. 
So when these laborers who'd been working all day received the same amount as those who'd come uh, at the end of the day, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, we're going to first look at the context of this passage to help us understand exactly what is going on. And the social situation at the time is that many small farmers were being forced off their land because of the debt that they were accruing to pay the Roman taxes. So as a result, men who used to own land and be farmers themselves were forced to become day laborers. And so large pools of unemployed men gathered each morning in the marketplace, hoping to be hired for the day. And we actually know exactly what this looks like because having um, worked around the world in different uh, contexts and in the field of development, I've seen this with my own eyes. It still happens today. And we've got a few photos of this. And what you have in places like Nepal and India, uh, in Kenya, is you have daily labourers go often to the town square and they're literally sitting with the tools of their trade. So you can see that this guy is offering the services of painting uh, and cleaning. If you go to the next slide, again in another country, you see men literally sitting with their jackhammers, their picks and their uh, shovels. They are waiting to be scooped up. Uh, by a contractor or by the foreman and taken off to the work site to do their day's work. There was no air tasker or yellow pages, so this is how you got picked up for work. And you might be wondering, though, why do some of them end up waiting there all day like we saw in the parable? And it would seem lazy to just wait all day and sit on your tools, and if you drove past, you might think, what are these men doing just waiting around? But the reality is they had no other choice. They were looking to be picked up for work and this is where you went. And what we also know from our time overseas is that those who were hired later in the day were more likely to be those who were sick or elderly or those with disabilities. They were the poorest of the poor or those with lowest standing in society. The ones waiting throughout the day tend to be those most marginalized. So those still waiting at five o'clock would have had little chance of earning enough money to buy food for their families that day. But what choice do they have except to wait in hope each day that they would be picked up, even if just for a tiny bit of work? Now, this is the true meaning of living hand to mouth in many of these societies. So first of all, we have the fact that they are already vulnerable and they are often the most undesirable employees for their landowners, least likely to be hired. So when we keep all of this in mind for the listeners of this story that Jesus told, there were a lot of elements that they probably didn't understand or didn't fit with what they were used to. So first of all, what would have stood out to those who are hearing the story is that the master didn't send a foreman. He went himself. Throughout the day, he went himself and he chose and selected workers to come back and to have the opportunity to work in his vineyard. And this would have been quite shocking. This it's hard to recognize in our day because we have a slightly more egalitarian society when it comes to class, particularly um, in Australia. But it was almost quite shocking to see a master walk out into the town square and to look each one of these men in the eye and to come down to their level and to select them, to take them back to do that work and to give them that opportunity. So that itself was surprising. Second of all, uh, what is obviously surprising is the fact that he paid those hired last the same amount 
as those who'd worked a whole day. And for those who heard this, they would have thought to themselves, there's no fairness in this, right? There's no fairness. It is unfair that they worked um, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours and received the same pay as potentially the ones who worked only one hours. And this idea, this refrain of it's not fair is something parents of young children are very used to in our household. You often hear this cried out, it's not fair, it's not fair. And as a parent who loves their children and who does their best to make sure things are more than fair, you know that this is wrong typically and it's offensive and hurtful too. But these workers were crying out, it's not fair. It offended their sense of fairness. But the point is this, the landowner is being just. He's paying everyone what he committed to paying them. He hasn't lied. He hasn't been dishonest in any way. But his generosity exceeds their sense of fairness. The landowner is working to a different set of scales than the one the workers and the audience have in mind. Their scales of fairness and justice have in mind that every single worker's story and situation starts from the same position, that they are all waiting there at the start of the day, eligible to be hired, and when they are hired, getting to work for that full day and putting in the same amount of effort. However, God's generous justice knows that each worker does not start from the same position because as we mentioned, the ones picked first are often the strongest and most able-bodied, whilst the ones picked later are typically those who are weaker or older or more marginalised. Perhaps they carry a disability or perhaps they were late to the square because they were taking care of a child sick at home or, or who was unable to go out for the day. So God's generous justice is not about fairness in the black and white sense we so often conceive of it. It instead seeks to take in the whole picture and looks to bless and restore and redeem each individual according to God's gracious love, not our sense of fairness and what is right or wrong. And if we could only see this and embrace it for what it is as a society and then become co-workers in this kind of generous restorative justice in our world, the poor and vulnerable would be uplifted and society itself would be made more whole and better functioning. But instead, the landowner's generosity so disrupted the worker's understanding of fairness, it actually causes them to question his goodness. They grumble, they complain. And if we're honest with ourselves, how often do we do that? Grumble and complain as we compare our lot in life or what we've received to those of others. Tim Costello, who I work with, who's the, who was the CEO of World Vision, says, we are so good and we so often compare upwards of ourselves. Rarely do we ever compare down to what others are experiencing in life and to the hardships others have to face. It's not to say God doesn't care about your challenges, but we do need to keep things in perspective. And finally, the landowner takes a, another step which defies the expectations of this audience again in that those who were hired last were paid before those who worked all day. So they were actually waiting and kept around longer to receive their wage. He is really focusing in on those who came last. And what the listeners of the story are meant to take away from this is the sentence that the verse that comes before this parable and the one that it finishes with, that in God's kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. How do we make sense of what Jesus is doing here and what he's getting at? And we need to keep in mind that this story in the Bible falls right before Jesus hops on the donkey, travels to Jerusalem, is oppressed by the religious elite and ultimately killed by them. This is part of the sequence of events leading up immediately to his death and resurrection. And what we see in this kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry looking to proclaim and teach on, in this kingdom so many assumptions and expectations are constantly 
constantly being turned upside down. And what is the shocking force that is typically doing this turning upside down? It's grace. In particular, disproportionate grace. This kind of grace that is offered disproportionate to our efforts, to our labours, to what we've earned, to what is fair in the eyes of the world. It's disproportionate grace. And just as there is close to no framework for it today in our society outside of the Bible, in that society they couldn't understand what they were seeing in the form of this disproportionate grace. The justice that was expected from a wealthy landowner was outdone by extravagant love and generosity. And it was a generosity that was undeserved and unearned, but it was based on a foundation of grace. And that is the kind of grace that can only, only be found in Jesus. So we see in this parable, extravagant love, generous justice, disproportionate grace. And it offends so many. Christian scholar R.T. France says, Jesus will often offend our sense of justice, which begs the question, what do we do with that offense? How do we process it? And we have to understand that as people who are engaging in the kingdom of God, we should expect that it will only be natural that our sense and understanding of justice will be challenged, both in how we experience it and how we are called to give it to others. Jesus wasn't telling this story purely for a religious teaching moment. If you look at it in the context of his journey to the cross, he was preparing his disciples to live a similar life, to act in a similar way. He knew his opportunities to teach were dwindling and becoming fewer and fewer as the days go on. And so it is incredibly insightful that he chooses this as one of his last recorded parables to teach this story of extravagant love, generous justice and disproportionate grace. He was inviting and encouraging the disciples to do the same when he would be gone. Tim Keller says this, justice is not just a responsive activity warranted by transgressions of the law. It's an initiated and forward leaning activity. It involves going to places where the fabric of shalom has broken down, where the weaker members of societies are falling through the fabric and to repair it. It involves a forward leaning, a going towards, a restitching of the shalom, which is God's vision for wholeness completeness, restoration in this world. But we are really excited today that we have the chance again to launch another fundraiser for MUCO. As you heard Brittany say in the video, the vision is for sustainability and to partner with the church there uh, in MUCO so that they are empowered and able to take this work forward on their own. But there is a gap between that future day and the reality of where they are now. And in that gap, we get to partner with them and support them. We'll always partner with them in prayer and relationship, but right now they need us to partner with them in terms of their finances as well so they can get on that track to that sustainable future, which together the doctors and nurses there and the community leaders are really working with Brit and this church on. And uh, Brit and Sue had a meeting this week with the International Justice Mission, another ministry that we are in partnership with. And Brit came back and told me how the Granary Church at IJM in that ministry is actually a bit renowned for its generosity because uh, last time that they came to our church and we had a fundraiser with them to uh, partner with some of the work we're doing addressing uh, slavery in India, we set a target for $10,000 and on that day we raised 40000 and when we set a target of $38,000 for our last MUCO fundraiser, we raised $55,000. And these aren't just targets that we throw out for the sake of, you know, provoking people to give more or, or to talk about dollars and cents all the time. It's because these targets enable 
this work. They enable the kind of care and restorative justice that we are seeking to do with these communities. And um, this year, the target that's been set of $60,000, as you heard in the video, and I think there's a table that we can go to as well, has quite specifically been calculated according to what the needs are to cover the running costs and the maternity clinic for two years, which means supplying it with full funding so that it can go on to provide this free and subsidised healthcare into the community. And uh, as you can see, we've been breaking, breaking it down and that I think some are triggered and, and uh, provoked to action by emotion and by story. Others like to see the detail of how we are tangibly helping and assisting. So we like to provide both because it is an encouraging story overall. So what we've heard today is how God's justice goes beyond our legalised, sanitised sense of fairness and is about repair and restoration, repair and restoration of the broken world we live in. And we would love you to keep that in mind because we want to encourage our church as we run this fundraising campaign over the next five weeks to move beyond a charity mindset and into a justice one, that it's not just about forking out because you feel like you have to because you come to the church and we do this, but to see through your finances, through your prayer, through you belonging to this church, your partnership with this community and this maternity clinic in Muko. And I want to share a story of one woman from that clinic. Her name's Fiona and we have her photo. Fiona's story was sent to us as a testimony of the amazing work happening in Muko. And in a nutshell, she couldn't afford medical care and didn't know that there was a free clinic. So she had two pregnancies where she didn't have any checkups and tragically both pregnancies had complications and resulted in miscarriages. You can imagine Fiona's feelings of hopelessness and despair when you literally have no options to even help keep your unborn babies alive. You just don't know where to turn for support or that it even exists. But then she heard about the MUCO clinic and in her next pregnancy, she was able to come free of charge for four antenatal checkups and she safely delivered her baby at the maternity ward and received follow-up and support. Incredible stories and that's just one Stories like Fiona's being repeated throughout that community time and time again. This is what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to not just understand that there are parables like the one we read in the Bible, to not just read them and think, well, there's some interesting parts of that, but to see it as instructive to our own lives and to realize that Jesus, through his sacrifice for us, through his bringing of redemptive grace into our lives, through his showing of extravagant love, through his sending of the Holy Spirit, empowers us to do similar in our world today. So with that, I'm going to pray and the band is going to come back up and we're not going to launch immediately into singing. We're just going to reflect on that for a moment. And uh, there are cards on your chairs or on the tables nearby you, on a chair near you that talks about how you can give to this project financially. And so it's not a decision you have to make today. We're going to be talking and sharing about this project over the coming weeks. But just spend some time today in the context of what we've heard, in the context of Jesus' words to us in this parable, thinking about God's call to extravagant life and generous justice in your own lives. I'm going to pray. God, we just thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that your demonstration of extravagant love in this world far, far exceeds exceeds what our own human minds are able to comprehend, understand, and appreciate. Father God, we are so grateful that there is a form of such love in this world 
It's the love that animates us. It was the love that we are created with. It's the love that we are envisaged for and it's the love that we are called to give. And Father God, I just pray that if there are people here listening today who themselves haven't experienced that love or don't know what it's like to receive that love, that Father God, their hearts would be open to an experience of that from you. That God, you so love and care for each one of us and you want to pour this love into us irrespective of what we've done or what we do, you want to extend this love to us. So God, I pray that we would just have an experience anew of your love today, whether for the first time or in a way more powerful than it has been of recent times or in the flow of where we are living and experiencing your daily provision. Father God, we thank you for that. And we thank you as well for our opportunity through our partnership in MUCO to be able to show and demonstrate this love as we are blessed by being in partnership with a wonderful, wonderful community, a community who we know prays for us, who thinks about us, who cares about us, who knows what we are doing as a church here, just as we are sharing about what is happening over there, that they know and are sharing about what is happening here in Australia for us. And we thank you that we can be in partnerships like this across the body of Christ. So we just uplift all these things to you in prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.